Okay, let's talk about the Confucian perspective. So when we're looking at the meaning of life, I think this is how we can best understand what a Confucian critique of the character's attitudes in The Good Place are in the ending. So I think like Christianity, there's this idea that relationships are very important and Confucianism is not an individualistic way of thinking about life and it's not a consumerist way of looking at life. And I think that those two things are very present in these decisions. You know, this idea that, oh, I've experienced enough of life. In other words, I've consumed enough. I've gone to the buffet. I've tried all the food that there is. I'm pretty full. I don't need any more. If I have more of it, in fact, I might kind of start to feel gross. So I leave. And that's really not the right way to look at life. You know, it's not a series of experiences that you consume. And this is a kind of attitude that, in fact, I would say infects relationships for the most part. We kind of want to look for the right person, the way that we try to find some kind of jacket that fits us well, or a car that kind of matches a personality, whether we're talking about the color or the, the sleekness of it or the size of it, you know, are you a sports car guy or are you like a monster truck kind of guy? These are mainstream ways in which people essentially shop for their spouse, for nowadays called partner. That seems to be what, uh, what people are looking for. So how does Confucianism look at it? You have these relationships and those relationships not necessarily only more important than the individual the the individual is essentially comprised of different relationships so when you become a father when you become a mother that changes you as a person when you get married that changes you as a person and this really does connect to actual reality and you can talk about the biological basis of all of this too you can talk about the hormones that are released when certain life milestones are met and those are all actually encompassed, encapsulated in these sorts of ceremonies or rituals. You know, so what do you have? You have coming of age ceremonies called capping, which happens when you go through puberty. And in other words, all of these hormones that are released famously when you become a young adult. When you get married, there's a change in hormones there too. When you have children, there's a change in hormones. There's not a you know, of course, birthdays is not really unique or special to Confucianism, but of course, that's celebrated as well. And so you have these different moments in life where your relationship with somebody else changes or is established or in certain ways ends. Like in the case of, of funerals, it's both kinds of ends and is transformed by the person's death. So this kind of idea that you're shopping around for relationships really doesn't exist in Confucian thought. Another thing to consider is where does happiness and joy come from, uh, from a Confucian perspective? I think in today's society, there's a huge premium placed on new experiences, experiencing something for the first time. And I would say that this is actually the first time you experience something it's not necessarily the best experience. I would say that it takes a few times to experience it for you to start to appreciate some of the subtlety that's in there, some of the depth in there. The first time you experience it, it can feel like a roller coaster. 
But if we're talking about something with substance, if something we're talking about something with meaning and depth and artistry, then you can pick up on more with subsequent experiences. That kind of goes back to what is a classic. A classic is something that you can get more out of after a first, second, third, and so forth experiences of whatever it is, whether we're talking about a play by Shakespeare or we're talking about a piece of moral philosophy, we're getting more out of it when we go back to it. And it's a joy. Another way to look at this, think about your experiences with music. Think about your experiences with food. There is sort of an abstract parallel between these two things, and this also kind of mirrors a well-lived life. A well-lived life meaning that you're taking your time with a certain rhythm and a certain order of things that really enhances everything. So let's start with the food example, because I think this is the easiest to understand. Have you ever tried to eat cake with soda? It's terrible, because they're both sweet. They're going to you know, having both together is going to dampen the experience for both. So you don't want that. Instead, you pair it. You pair something sweet with something bitter or sour. You pair it with something that is very different. And that actually enhances both experiences, especially if you go back and forth. So you're drinking your red tea and you're eating your cake or you're having your coffee and you're eating your blueberry muffin. This works because of the contrast. Also, think about the nature of appetite. You probably have had your favorite food hundreds and hundreds of times, but you never really get sick of it unless you eat it for five meals straight or something. You know, If that happens, yes, you get sick of it. But if you rotate through these different foods, by the time you go back to your favorite, it still tastes good. You also naturally feel hunger. You feel the need to satiate. So there's a cycle going on. There's patterns. If you think about it, music does the same thing too. Well-written music, it can't always be loud. It can't always be quiet. It can't always be bright. It can't always be sad. So if you're looking at larger pieces, they do have this interplay where they, you're, you're going from one to the other and you keep going. And so you don't get tired of that song. You're not just hearing the same thing over and over and over again, in other words. Now, think about using music as a metaphor in another way. In the good place, there's constantly people coming into the good place. And those are new people. Those are different people. And they, too, can contribute to the community that's going on. And if you think about community, community harmony as like an orchestra. So it's good if you are yourself virtuous. This would be like if you know how to play the violin, and you're just playing the violin by yourself, and it sounds wonderful and beautiful. But then somebody comes by, he plays a different musical instrument, or also a violin, and plays a little bit of a different but complementing tune to yours, and then you have more and more people come in. And the more people there are, the more diversity there is. As long as we're all working together, it's more and more beautiful. And that's something that is seems to be missing here, is that Let's just say heaven, right? Heaven keeps adding more people, and there are different things to do, and so the combination of that goes faster than our experience. So if you're talking about, let me kind of give you a way to understand this. If you've taken calculus C, calculus AB, or calculus BC, right? C is where you're talking about going to infinity. Here you'll be acquainted with this idea that there are different rates of infinity. In other words, 
certain things go to infinity faster than other things. So in this scenario, what we're talking about is your experience of time is infinite. But the kinds of things that you can do is reaching infinity at an exponential level, whereas your experience of infinity is just linear. All right. So there's always going to be stuff to do. And actually, this is kind of actually ends up being hinted at in the last episode, because as a way to keep Shady around, Eleanor is coming up with new ideas that are kind of bizarre sounding. But that's never really kind of touched on after she just kind of brainstorms it. And that's kind of a flaw in the storytelling because it makes us ask, well, couldn't you just do something different, right? So if we're thinking about the what heaven is like, and if you live your life in harmony with other people, and that there are new things to do, this is the last point that I want to add on to it, to our discussion here about the Confucian perspective. In the Confucian perspective, music and poetry are exemplary art forms. And they're exemplary because there's a beauty to them. Confucians try to not only live the most moral life possible, but the most beautiful life possible. And that integrates morality into it. So it's not enough to just do the right thing, like for example, be a, a faithful spouse, but you also want to reach into worlds of beauty. So if you have infinite time, learn how to play instruments learn how to write poetry, and then create. There's so many creations that are possible out there, and your experience of time is not fast enough to go through all of that. And you can always try different stuff. Try to outdo yourself, not just outdo yourself, but also to try to go into new avenues of thought and experimentation. And, and so I don't see any of these characters ever trying art. There is one, and that's actually, interestingly, the one who doesn't go through the door and essentially commits suicide. Tahani, she wants to become an architect, and that is artistry. You know, that is creativity. So she doesn't go through the door. But the other characters go through the door, but they haven't really tried their hand at art. They just had this kind of consumptive experience where they experience something else that someone else has made. So Jason does his video game. That's somebody else's creation. The game itself, football, is somebody else's creation. He doesn't even bother to change up rules. Chidi, like what we see of him experiencing life is, oh, I get to sit in this chair that was saddened by Jean Sarté or, or whoever in Paris. And it's like, okay, but did you just kind of give up on your writing, you know, at all? Because when you read philosophy, it shouldn't just be dry stuff. Sometimes it is. And that's the stuff I can't stand personally. There's a poetic beauty to great philosophers and their writings or their, their words. So when I study the Analects, there are times where the imagery is poetic and there's a beauty to that. And that beauty is actually something that can help you get through hard parts in life, hard times in life. A couple natural directions for a person who is interested in moral philosophy to go into, one is just the arts, okay? The other one is just to ask, where does this all come from, which we don't see him doing either. So from a Confucian perspective, all sorts of problems are going awry here. People are not living for others. They're not emphasizing their relationship above themselves. They're being consumptive and passive about the experience. They're not creating art. They are not living in terms of cycles of harmony, of contrast, of peaks and valleys. They're not doing that. And I think that really can contribute to your listlessness. You know, you'll never ever reach a state, unless you're literally dying, 
and your body is, is shutting down, you'll never reach a stage where you just don't want to ever eat, you know, where, where you're just kind of sick of eating any food, right? So you don't have to really worry about living in an afterlife where you just feel inuai and you are ready to not exist, okay? So that's the part about Confucianism.